Early one morning, the southwesterly wind arose from off the Atlantic and brought fast, low clouds over the land. A blown grey rain hid the trees on the slopes of the valley. At night, the young moon was like a luminous grub, spinning a cocoon around itself in the sky. The river pushed to the sea with a fresh or brown flood water. And at nightfall, their halt, rising three feet under a waterside alder, was filled. The otters rode down on the fresh, over the spillway of the dark weir, where branches were fixed amid long claws of water. They spread their legs and floated. The noise of the great waters filled Tarka with joy. A log rolled in front of him, and he scrambled on it, to jump off again with happy cries. He pretended that the froth was fish and turned over on his back, trying to clutch it. The river swilled him along while he whistled in happiness. A memory of big fish was moved in the otter's mind by the smell of the fresh, and she was taking her cubs down to the river bend above Canal Bridge where she and her mate had killed salmon and peel before the cubs were born. During the journey, the clouds were blown to the northeast over the high and cold moorland where the otters had drifted under Rotherham Bridge. The moon was shining bright in a dark blue sky. Bubbles glinted around Tarka's head, where the water, hurrying too fast over shoals, tumbled back upon itself. Round a bend, the river began to slow and deepen. It was dammed half a mile below by a concrete weir built diagonally from bank to bank. This was the head of the weir pool. The otters drifted on, round another bend, until they came to where the smooth and thundering fallover of the bubble-whitened water slanted across the river, broken near the left bank by the plunge of breakers down the fish past. A mist hung over the river. An icicle stood in the moonlight below the fish pass silver spark for an eye. Below the fish pass, the water rushed in a foamy spate. Above, it slid black and polished. Presently, out of the lower whiteness, a silvery flicker shook and vanished. The silver spark vanished and glinted lower. Old Nog, peering below the pass, was so excited that he nearly fell over the three long green toes of each foot in his haste to overlook more of the water. A second fish tried to leap the weir. With sideways flaps of tail, it struggled up the spillway 
but the claws of the water pulled it back. The moon, in its first bright quarter, was smitten into a myriad shimmerings by the lower turmoil. Suddenly, it seemed, the shimmerings were drawn together into a silvery curve and fell into the pool above, soundlessly in the immense roar of the fall. The otters were lying in an other, or hover, near the right bank, away from the tug of the cascade plunging down the fish pass. The water in the other turned quietly. On its surface revolved a wheel of sticks riveted by bubbles. The otters turned with it, hanging rudders down in the current. When the salmon leapt to the weir, the bitch became rigid and her nostrils widened, but before the burst of the splash had dropped back, she had become supple again. The back of her sleek head gleamed and was gone. The cubs followed her, naturally so swift that a human observer might have wondered what cry or signal had been made by the otter. They swam by the bank until the pull of the water grew less. When the mother turned into midstream and sought the salmon by working at water from bank to bank through the gloomy and tumultuous spate. The current forced them to swim with the webs of four feet. Tarka swam on the left flank and the other cub on her right. Sometimes he was flung sideways or spun in another whirling wheel. He was swimming out of one when the bitch either scented the fish or saw the swift ream of its dorsal fin, for she turned and swam with the current, leaving them behind. Tarka turned after her and was pursuing with all his strength when a narrow fish larger than any he had ever seen swished past him. A few moments afterwards, the otter followed. But Tarka had to rise to breathe, and when he swam down again, he was alone. He knew that hunted fish usually went up water, so he swam against the current, swinging from side to side as he had learned by imitating his mother. When, after several minutes, he could find neither mother nor sister, he climbed on the bank where wet vegetation and sticks loading the lower branches of nut trees showed how quickly the fresh had risen and was falling. Plashes of water covered the grassy depressions of the meadow where more hens were feeding, and Tarka was returning from an unsuccessful pattering after the birds when he heard his mother's whistle. She had been swept down the fish pass and hurled against the concrete rim of the middle trough where the water had pounded her until she had been flung out on the straight rush and left gasping and coughing on rocky shillets heaped against the lower banks by old floods. She was savage in failure and took her cubs over the plashy meadow to a wood to find rabbits. 
In this wood, she had never heard the eclack of a sprung gin, so she had no fear. But the rabbits told their fear by thumping their hind legs, and those which did not bolt into the open ran to their buries and sat there quivering, with ears laid back over shoulders. The otters followed them to where they crouched, inert in terror, their faces pressed into the earth where the tunnels stopped. Twelve were dragged out squealing and killed, three being skinned by the bitch. While they were feeding, a harsh chattering came from one of the holes with two pricks of greenish light. Here stood Stickacy the weasel, who was in a rage because the water fitches were in his wood. Stickacy was about half as long as the otter's rudder, but he was not afraid of her. He came within a yard of her nose and raved so persistently at the smell of so much blood that she turned away from the little beast's racket and went back to the river. <laughs>